So Metal Gear is like a steampunk thing, right? <laughs> Don't get me started. What? That's like Metal Gear. <laughs> yeah, you know, like like me- like because that's the only thing about gears that I know. Metal big Metal Gear is the big <sighs> brass. They might as well call it brass gear, I guess. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered why it wasn't just called brass gear. Mm-hmm. Well, there it's because there are a lot of uh, different metals that are involved in a Metal Gear. You can't just have a brass robot that's forty feet tall. Like, there's got to be titanium struts. Yeah, you got to have a, a, a lithium uh, ion battery core, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. And um, the giant gun shoots metal slugs, and that's a different kind of metal. Oh, okay. So, so metal metal slug. Yeah, metal slug is a kind of Metal Gear. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. I've always wondered about that. Mm-hmm. Actually, when I was growing up, I did always think metal slug and metal gear were like roughly the same thing it's because they have the same branding yeah exactly like you're like oh the metal series uh-huh. <laughs> so snake is like an airship captain right okay, so solid snake is an airship captain um from uh the previous war okay and he's being the brought, big war he, yeah he's from the big war and the he's steam wars mm-hmm. and he's being brought back for one more mission but they send him instead of an airship where he's comfortable they send him in an underwater ship where he's not comfortable and it looks like and a he, big leviathan mm-hmm. just like wiggling around in, underwater exactly but it's all made out of like tarps and bolts mm-hmm. right and so he gets really wet because they don't have good like like a steampunk setting doesn't have really good water resistance yeah and so when he gets to the mission he's like soaked and he has to get the submarine is like dripping the whole time yeah exactly (laughs) i wanted to distract from you about to say totally naked he has to get totally naked i didn't intend for this to be a fanfic corner for nick's dreams no 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 no. this is what happens in metal gear everybody gets naked all the time that's one of the main (laughs) things one of the guys is named naked snake caleb i don't think you know that one of the characters is named naked snake yeah snaked yeah why didn't they just call him snaked because it's the military it's the oh, that's book. that's true, and they needed to have really professional names like Naked very Snake. Very serious. That's a code name, Caleb. Get with it. <laughs> Solid Snake, Naked Snake, Old Snake. All very, very professional and not double entendre names at all. Very steampunk. <laughs> <laughs> you can't blindside me with Metal Gear talk. I'll get that's that sends me spinning down a whole different corridor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a whole different. Sends, that's a whole different video game series. Sends me belly crawling into an air duct of no return (laughs) a steam duct excuse me a steam duct Bienvenue to Everyday's Great. Bitte schön, an experimental Let's Play podcast. Bonjour of Persona 4. Hey y'all, it's Nick Splendor. <laughs> and what's up you guys? I'm Caleb St. Hewitt. <laughs> A steampunk setting where instead of air conditioning, they're just piping hot steam into the rooms. <laughs> Everywhere's a sauna. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems like, that, not gonna lie, that seems like from what I know of Metal Gear, that would be a Metal Gear level. Yes. Like where everybody's like in a sauna like like a regular uh-huh. a regular big business building where you're yes. having to assassinate someone yeah. but inside it's like a sauna and there's like steam everywhere yes. and it's foggy. Excuse me, Caleb, but you never have to assassinate anyone in Metal Gear. 
No kill, 100%. Total stealth. <laughs> okay, okay, well, what are you usually doing in Metal Gear then? You're trying to get uh, you're trying to get access to the big weapon? Okay, you're stripping down. Okay. You're hugging dudes until they sleep. Very good. And, yeah, you're crawling through the jungle or the snow. Like, that's it. That's the game. And, gosh, I'm so excited for that. <laughs> Do you want to talk about Persona? Hug a man until they sleep. It's Persona 4. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we only played two days because we went to Resace Dungeon. Yes. So what I'll do is I'll start us off on the day that we did right before the dungeon, which has a little bit of story information. Hit me with the time stamp. 623. <laughs> June 23rd. Today, we are told by the kids who all get together at the food court that the Risei screen even showed her face this time. And they do yeah. another one of their patented what could the murder be about conversation sessions where we don't get very far. They suggest that maybe the Midnight Channel is like a ransom note because people appear on it before they get kidnapped. So they wonder, oh, what if the killer's thoughts or the killer's plans affect the Midnight Channel oh, in some yeah. way? yeah. Okay, and that this this TV world might be a hybrid of the thoughts of the killer and the thoughts of the, victims. the victim. And, and yeah, Yosuke says, like, it's some mix of the minds of the victims and the killer, or maybe it's everyone's minds? Mmm, interesting. Some kind of, like, what would it be called? Like a, um, a together... Space, a together space. A together space, <laughs> a... Uh, uh, we're all thinking ocean. Like, what would you call a mind void? A mind void. Yeah, like a like um a ca- uh, a consciousness casserole. <laughs> Is that- <laughs> if only someone had written a book about the consciousness casserole. Uh-huh. <laughs> like a like a brain train. Yeah, like a brain train. And if only some kind of like are you Carlos I- Youthful or something had written like- a book about the. Ca- <laughs> That would be, I feel like that would be a good diss. Like, he's the caboose on the brain train. (laughs) um, In this case, that would be Kanji. Yes. Always last to to the table, uh, uh, the train table. But they they turn to him after this whole conversation and they're like, Kanji, you haven't said anything. Are you all right? And he's like, huh? Yeah. And they're like, were you just actually asleep? Sleeping? Were you 100% asleep? Oh, no, no, I'm, you know, I'm, yeah. uh, I love you guys. Yeah, brain train. <laughs> brain train, love it. Absolutely. With you, 100%. Consciousness, kiss a roll. <laughs> so what is your current opinion on that? How do you feel about what the Midnight Channel might be? Well, um, for... I like the idea of the collective unkanji. Mm-hmm. Like, that they are assembling... I mean, it's very clearly built... The parts that we've explored, anyway. Mm-hmm. Built out of different uh, environments created by the victims, at least. Yes. Um... I, I really don't know what's going on in the TV world. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know who the killer is at this point. I don't know why it's a TV place. I don't know why. I mean, other than all the characters appearing on TV. But, like, what is Teddy? What is anything? I'm at, I feel like I'm at square one, to be honest. So you don't have any real good ideas right now? I don't think I do. I mean, like, certain things make sense. Like, yes, this is a interdimensional space composed of various thoughts and feelings. Okay. Like, sure. Uh, yes, this is, like, a place where people go to confront or be killed by their, like, alternate selves, their deepest uh, troubling thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like, sure. But why? What is it? I don't know. Yeah. I still Where did it come from? Where did it come from? Where did it go? What's its purpose, Cotton-Eye Joe? (laughs) What is your purpose, Purpose, Cotton-Eye Joe? Joe? 
Speak to me of your purpose. <laughs> tell me what you want. Tell me. Tell me of Cotton Eye Joe. All you do is come and go and dance. <laughs> I must know your mission. <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe sounds like a Metal Gear character. Ooh, Cotton Eye Joe. Yeah, or mm. a Metal Slug character. Yeah, could be a Metal could Slug character. Could be either character. one. Yeah, I mean, they are <laughs> the same. Track, yeah. So that day, we decide to go on a stakeout because Risei has not been captured yet. And so we decide as a group, okay, we're going to go to her house because it's we now saw her face. And usually in the past, as yeah. it's gotten clearer, it's gotten closer to when they get captured. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go sit outside of her place and watch and see if anybody acts suspicious or tries anything. Yes. So, and someone does. Yes. So a, a dachi. <laughs> a, da- yeah, a dachi does come as well. He shows up because he's also been assigned to stake out the yeah. place, too. Because like we said before, Dojima has like his eye on this place. Yeah. He's worried about uh, Rise mm-hmm. as a target. But Adachi, like we're like, OK, cool. We'll all go stake out. And Adachi's like, yeah, you guys seem like you might be helpful. <laughs> oh, yeah. We run into him at the store. We don't even see right. him at Rise's place. We go to get supplies at the store. And so if you, everybody's buying candy and chocolates and donuts yeah. and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And somebody makes a joke about being cops where they're like, oh, we obviously just need like donuts and coffee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and But Adachi has maybe been trailing us to begin with. And Yosuke says they need to buy diapers. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Number one most important thing that happened in this whole scene. Trash Boy Yosuke is apparently also Diaper Boy Yosuke. He says that they should get adult diapers for their stakeout. And everybody's he like. He says it seriously. He's like, everybody's like, um, I don't think they have those here. And then Yosuke says, well, they have them at Juness. Indicating that he knows exactly where to get the adult diapers from Juness, that he has worn them in the past, that he is the diaper boy. And listen, listen, if you need a diaper, that is okay. We all have body problems and things don't go great. Totally. I am not harshing on anyone who needs a diaper, but I am thinking about Yosuke. Well, needlessly wearing a diaper. Well, I don't know about needlessly, right? Okay. Because here's some here's some pieces of evidence. Oh yeah, right. One, tracking he didn't, down the diaper cape. The, the diaper, diaper caper. One, he didn't bring one when they got stuck in the TV world the first time, That's and right. he spent the whole time really really needing to pee. That's true. There's that. So, when you have an experience like that, you don't necessarily want to repeat that. Exactly. Two, it might be that he hasn't used them, but because he does work at that store a lot, he stocked them before. Mm-hmm. So we can give him some benefit of the okay, doubt. Okay, sure. Either, either way, I wonder, is this a thing that detectives often do on stakeouts? Do they bring things like diapers? Is that a thing that people do? I don't know. Here we go. I'm going to check right. He's going to Google it. Does Batman wear a diaper? Because yes. that suit is hard to get in and out of. There's an, there's absolutely no chance that Batman does not wear a diaper. There's no doubt in our minds, our increasingly detective minds. Oh, you think you're the great mouse detective, Batman? Like, we are the detectives and we know that you wear a diaper now. Okay, number one question Yahoo answers. Do police really wear diapers to stakeouts? Oh my god. I keep seeing this mentioned on TV. Do they? And I'm curious if it has any basis in fact or not. Best answer, no. Well, and a police officer says, okay, an an NYPD police officer says, no, I'm a retired police officer and I've never heard of that one before, but I have seen it on TV. I don't know who thought of that. Hmm. But in that case, why is it called the New York police department? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually die apartment. Die part too. (laughs) Die parter. (laughs) Adachi decides that he's going to kind of babysit us. Actually, Adachi has been sent 
to watch us. I'm yes. getting this all mixed up, but now it's piecing back together. There's a lot happening here, but we are memento style reconstructing the scene of the, <laughs> the scene of the crimes. Dojima put Adachi in charge of following us. Yes. And that's what he's doing when he just walks into the store, feet away from us, and uh, then immediately tells us he's been assigned to follow us. Like, what are you doing, Adachi? He's so good at his job. Oh, he's just oh, so he's good. He's so at it. good. I really admire him. So when we say, oh, we're going to follow, when we say, we're going to follow Risei, he, instead of saying, like, no, stop being a part of this, Mm -hmm. he goes, yeah, let's go. Yeah, oh, you guys are probably going to be helpful. Let's, yeah, sure, you can help. Yeah. That that way I can keep an eye on you and her. Yes, and it's just like, Adachi, you're just a big old dumb, huh? Yeah. And then we're all idiots because a photographer, uh, well, photographer is probably generous. Mm, Yes, I believe the uh, term is paparazzo yes um so a a dude in a very colorful outfit with a lot of cameras who is trying to peep into Rise's window climbs up a light pole and tries to take pictures inside Rise's house yeah and we see this dude scooting up a pole and with, with just a backpack full of lenses and such mm-hmm. and go hey there's a pervert that must be the murderer yeah well guess what there's more than one kind of pervert idiots <laughs> So he, he slides down the pole and starts running away. Right. Instead of Very leaving, suspicious. Like, yes. that is suspicious behavior. But everybody gets so excited about finding even one suspicious person yeah. that the whole group leaves Risei alone. And they chase this photographer. He goes to the biggest highway in Inaba, which is the big road we keep seeing at the edge of the store town. I yes. assume it's the biggest road they've got. Yeah. Because uh, it always has cars rolling by. He goes to the edge of it and he says, if you attack me, I'm going to jump in front of the cars. Which wow. is a big move. Yeah. It gives us the option to decide whether we are going to tackle him from behind the front or let Yosuke decide. Yeah. We hit tackle him from behind because we were like, if that's possible, then we don't want him to fall into the car. I don't want to tackle him front ways into traffic. Like, duh. But, but then the, everybody's like, how would you even do that? Yeah. Right away, everyone's like, no, you can't. You can't tackle him from behind. That doesn't make sense. And so then... I thought if, if there is so much traffic that he's going to be destroyed utterly by taking even one step back, that we could like juke him and sidestep over to the side hop up onto the hood of a car surf it you know yeah, a few spin, feet over like, well you roll the whole entire length of the roll car roll the car and then like pop off the hood and tackle him from behind and mm-hmm. that would be a super cool move instead we just kind of like turn him around and then grab him and it's yeah. nothing it's not worth the yeah, discussing he, he doesn't make it out into the cars thing yeah thank god, god no one dies mm-hmm. and then adachi immediately is like well, so glad we found the killer. Yeah. And the kids as a group are kind of like, I don't, I don't know. Is and he the killer? And the, and the photographer's going, what? It's not a crime to take sneaky pictures in Japan. And which, who knows how uh, true that is. Yeah. And then Adachi is just like dusting his hands off like, oof, another Ooh. another great job completed. <laughs> Good old policing for me. I, I didn't even need my diaper today. <laughs> <laughs> Adachi takes him downtown. Yep. And we go back to Risei's shop and find out as oh. soon as we get there that she has disappeared without a word. Whoops. Her grandmother says, sometimes Risei just leaves without saying anything to me, so. Yeah, not concerned, but we are concerned. Because we know. We know. She's probably been captured. Now, how could this happen so quickly? I, like, there's we don't have any other information to even speculate, but, like, in the span of five minutes or so, mm-hmm. she's gone and probably in the TV world. Yeah. What on earth happened? That's a great question. Do you have any theories? What do you think could... <sighs> how do you think she could have been captured that fast? Okay. Well, I guess this discounts any of our team members from being 
like the murderer. Like uh, last week, I was starting to go like, you know what? Maybe Yosuke is the murderer mm-hmm. because my main reason, like the way I would do if I was a police officer, would be I would eliminate my enemies by pinning crimes on them. Yeah. Um, that they didn't commit, but mm-hmm. I would make a very compelling case. And like in that case, if I was a corrupt uh, cop in, it, like that, uh-huh. then I would have blamed Yosuke for the murders. Like I know Nanako's doing it, but I would pin it on Yosuke. Why would? You, why is Yosuke your enemy in this case? Because he's the worst. Oh, okay. He's I terrible. understand. I just this hate him. I just want him there. to go this to jail. I'm were. saying, yeah, I want him to go to jail. Okay. <laughs> for for his crimes, and unfortunately, the crimes he's committed cannot be convicted in a court of law. <laughs> uh, but they, you know. Anyway, so but I was sort of going. Well, how do we know, you know... That your team members are not the bad guy. Yeah. yeah. And, like, we can assume they aren't, And but I, I started to wonder. But mm-hmm. at this point, I think that's probably not the case. Because yeah. everybody's with us. Like, all hands on deck. Um, I don't know. So, whoever it is, I'm wondering whether a... It, does someone physically need to push a victim into the TV world mm-hmm. or can they be sucked in some other way or is th- this process may not be as simple as d- TV delivery here let me unpack your new TV for you <laughs> boink like <laughs> pushing them into a, a big flat screen mm-hmm. like it could be something else because it might be that they're already like partially in the TV world because we can see them there like mm-hmm. it's a process that takes time like you think they're like they could already be a little bit dematerialized right they're being slowly pulled into that world mm-hmm. and that's why we only see them in vague detail and then increasing detail like mm-hmm. that could be something that's happening um i don't know what else but who I, are you I, I this is a good time to do a check-in like, okay or actually maybe if we get through this we'll oh, talk sure. through the end of this okay. and then we'll do it yeah. the dungeon and then talk again about where you're at all right so that night we go and we watch the Midnight Channel again, and this time it's definitely her, and we get her like full says a bunch of lines about what she's going to yeah, do. Yeah, full production of her nightmare television program. And her nightmare television program, it turns out, is that it is a TV show, like a late night TV show, where she, a celebrity idol, yeah. has decided that to make her shift into being an adult superstar she is going to get completely naked on television yeah we're really gonna push standards and practices mm-hmm. i'm gonna show everything and bear it all yeah. she says so that of course immediately yosuke is like do you really think so and we even have a question of like should we go save her immediately or should we wait a minute <laughs> And like, hey, Yosuke, fuck you. Yeah, we are going to save her immediately, except that the next day we don't. (laughs) So so on the next day, June 24th, we're told by Teddy that in order to find her, we need to get information. Right. So we don't do that right away. But while we're gathering information, we do some other stuff. We talk to Teddy and he tells us that he wasn't crying. When we first walk up, uh-huh. he's like staring off into the distance. <laughs> Somebody says, hey, are you okay? And he goes, I wasn't crying. I wasn't crying. And at first, that seems like a, that seems like, I actually really, really like this moment. Yeah. Because at first, it seems like he's saying, he's just like covering up, right? right. Like he's like, oh, well, I wasn't, I wasn't crying, definitely. And then he talks a little bit more and you find out that actually it's much sadder than that. Mm. He is lonely, still doesn't know what's going on in his head. Yeah. And he tried to cope with that by crying and then found out that he can't cry. Oh, my God. So he the reason he said I wasn't crying wasn't because he was crying and covering up. It was because he physically can't cry. And that is distressing him. Oh, wow. Because to him, that's just another piece of evidence that he's not like a person. Oh, I was 
really surprised by this sequence of events, mm-hmm. how much development we get with Teddy. Yeah. And the ways in which Risei's questioning her true self and Teddy questioning his true self and the concept of who is your true self yeah. are tied together. It's really interesting. And that scene, I didn't even like, I'm, I'm glad we're doing this recap because like I didn't even put all that together in the way that you just said it like that and, helps me and another thing that's making me sad right now that's making me get a little teary actually yeah. is that i was i have never thought of it this way before but te- a lot of teddy's concerns are actually like the concerns of a toy mm. like he actively says um the exact sentence i feel like when i'm not useful to you guys anymore i'm gonna be thrown away oh god and oh no, it's Toy Story three. <laughs> right, and that's, oh, no. I think that's part of why I'm getting this way right now. But the uh, I've I've always wondered why this was his form, like yeah. why Teddy took on this shape yeah. in the TV world. And now talking about this and looking back at these lines after a little bit of distance, this is why. It's because Teddy's biggest concern is about whether or not he actually has a self separate from these people that he's interacting oh, with. Oh wow! And whether whether he matters beyond his usefulness and especially yeah. as we see at the beginning of this like and last time with kanji where he says my nose isn't working as well as i thought it would and uh. i can't find him and he starts getting distressed because he's like the only reason i'm on y'all's team right now is because first you needed me to get out of this place yeah. and then next you needed me to find your friends if i can't do those things yeah if i'm not the if i'm not the one that can do it and if i need this much help to do it and my nose is failing more and more than like you guys aren't even going to want to hang out with me and you're the only thing I know. Oh my God. Like that's, that's a teddy bear problem of like the only thing I know is this kid. Oh no. Like fresh from the factory. Yeah. You're my whole world. Mm -hmm. Gosh, that's sad. Ah, geez. And I hadn't thought of it that way. And it is, it is, he is fresh from the factory in the sense that he somehow we know was like kind of spontaneously created here. Oh, and this is where he says like, I've been trying to remember my mem, like trying to find my memories, but what if I don't have any memories? Yeah. Like I can't find What if this is just it? Mm -hmm. Oh, Ooh. And we, it starts his social link. So it, yeah. it does a surprise like social link activation and we find out he's the star arcana. I was very surprised by this. Mm-hmm. I was not uh, anticipating him having a social link. And I also was, we're so focused on Rise. This is something that helps reinforce this part of the story mm-hmm. is that we are focused so hard on Rise that it's almost like, okay, Teddy, shut up, shut up. I'm trying to, we're, we're trying to save somebody here. Yes, but yeah. But then we need to stop and listen to him. Like, mm-hmm. we need to help him too. And we'll talk about that in just yeah. a minute. Mm-hmm. The After we finish talking to him and he tells us, you know, there's a lot of things I don't understand, but for now, if you can find more information about Risei, I might be able to find her. Yeah. We go back to the human world and we talk to Naoki again. Yes. Um, so, and yeah, Naoki is Naoki Konishi, who's Saki's brother, and we go to visit him again because we're trying to get his social link started. Yeah. We are, as soon as we start talking to him, drafted back into helping out with the medical club. Yes. So they pull us in there, and as soon as we're in there, they start complaining about Naoki. Yeah. And they start saying, uh, he's getting special treatment just because, quote unquote, his sister died. And <laughs> yeah, that, how like, dare he? Mm-hmm, and that, like... I heard that they're not making him do homework and I heard that he's not having to do take tests like we are and stuff. That's just like being really it's small town garbage. Yeah. I just read a graphic novel skim. Okay. That actually deals with something similar to this. It okay. deals with uh, a high school student dying and the way the rest of the 
uh, school deals with it. Yeah. And they touch on a lot of these same. It's really worth checking out. Jillian okay. and Mariko Tamaki. All right. It's a great graphic novel. And they touch on some of these same emotions of like, because it's so hard to really grasp what that means. Often the only way these kids know how to frame it is in context of themselves. Yeah. So there's this like, well, this happened to him. I don't really know what that means, but what I do know it me- that it means is that now it's unfair. Like now the world's unfair yeah. because this person died. It wasn't him. He didn't die, but now I have to take a test and he doesn't. And I was also near someone who died in this way. That's like so crummy, but you can yeah. almost feel people just not knowing how to talk about it in any other way. Totally. Especially if it's the first time you have encountered a, uh, close death or someone you know one of your peers mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to know what to do yeah and and the tensions in this place are very high obviously because there have been multiple murders and you have to carry on yeah with life and that that part of it the like why does someone else get to stop when we'd all like to stop for a little while mm-hmm. we would like to it, we have to all just carry on with normal life in the midst of something terrible happening mm-hmm. which you do but that that feeling it's not so much that oh i'm mad at this person right it's just more like it's not fair that we don't all get to just stop and deal with this mm-hmm. for a little while and not just this but there is and there is a problem in schools of like the hierarchy of problems right where mm. there are probably lots of kids who are going through a lot of stuff that's just harder to quantify sure and they aren't given that kind of like time or freedom in this case it was kids being kind of crummy i think sure right right definitely but and there but that is a problem that's worth noting and mm-hmm. talking about in schools we get the option to defend Noki, so we do yeah where we say like hey you guys don't really know the whole story or like you guys are i don't remember exactly, I don't what remember our line exactly is. either but it's like we just tell them to stop kind yeah of. and it happens to be that we tell them to stop right as Noki is walking back in the door he just like slams the door open and he reveals that he was kind of listening yeah and he says right away no, it's fine. And then looks at everybody who now is kind of awkwardly standing there and goes, sorry for ruining everyone's buzz. And then just turns around and leaves immediately. Like, and there's this, like, there is a a real stress there of like, yeah, I'm miserable right now and very sad. And I know that looking at me makes everyone else miserable and sad too. But like, it sucks. It sucks to suddenly have your whole life be reduced to this tragedy. Like, yep. That really, really sucks. It really does. And we go back and find him grabbing his shoes from his locker. And he looks at us and immediately he goes, there's dirt on your shirt. And it's like very cute. Uh, he yeah. Looks, he goes, there's dirt on your shirt. Because apparently we were doing something in the sterile medical room that got dirt all over uh-huh. us. And he goes, here. And he pulls a handkerchief, a cute handkerchief it out of his specifies pocket. specifies this. Here, he, he hands you a cute handkerchief. And then he gives it to you to like clean up your shirt. And it is the most romantic thing that's happened in this game so far. I agree. The most genuinely romantic moment yet, in my opinion. Just a small gesture of concern. Mm -hmm. It's one of these quiet things. Nothing major. No big deal made about it. Right. Which is like, here you go. And I know it doesn't have to be romantic, but... In, especially in context of all the stuff of the past couple episodes where we've had to deal with like the crummiest face of it. Yeah. My, I'm just desperate for something sweet, something sweet and gentle. And like, I want Naoki to be like, oh, maybe this is somebody that I can get to know. Well, you can be, you know, you can be romantic with your friends. That's true, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you could call it just being sweet at that point. But, um, but it is a, it is a romantic gesture. It yeah. is this like, here, I'm, you know. 
I've been standoffish mm-hmm. in the past, but now I'm going to offer you this little conciliatory gesture. Yeah. Like, I do care that you are clean. I want, you know, oh, I don't want that to be the case. It's ro- it's romantic in the, uh, like, in the genre sense, I yeah, guess. Yes, in the purely Goethe sense. <laughs> <laughs> Persona 4, purely Goethe. <laughs> we go to the hospital. And while we're cleaning, we have to ignore a bunch of swears from the other room. Yeah, some something like you can't really make it out, but some really rough, really rough stuff comes from another room. And uh, I was like, "Ooh, what's going on?" And normally, now this is interesting. Normally, when we go to the hospital, we hear indistinct sounds. We hear ghost type sounds. Yeah. But here we are overhearing actual human conflict. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to link those two things as being tough to hear and increasing your courage yeah because your courage does increase in the same way that it does when you were like oh is somebody else here no uh oh, that's I'm, a, I'm gonna stay that's a good way to put it that you dealt both with the courage of being alone yeah and the courage of being near people who you are scared of yeah something actual like something real happening that you're like oh god i don't want to hear that mm-hmm. but you stick it out and you keep going so sayoko comes to our room uh-huh and she says did you hear that commotion she says that was the first time anyone ever called me a slutty bitch to my face Ooh, i didn't like it i didn't like the scene i didn't like when it made me read that word it was very rough sayoko says that there's she used to work in another hospital where mm-hmm. she had a relationship with a doctor uh even though the doctor was married mm-hmm. and then the wife of the doctor found out ran her off, she had to leave, and then the doctor started having a relationship with another nurse. And she says, somehow I'm still involved, somehow this is my fault now, that he's having a relationship with someone else and I haven't even talked to him. Right. And so his wife came all the way here to chew me out again. Yes. And then she got scratched. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The wife, like, like physically attacked her when she told her to stop talking to her. Gosh. So that's rough. And then she comes in and, and... She starts off snappy and then she gets kind of like distant and she says like i don't know what i'm working for right now i don't know what i'm living for like yeah i have no idea we comfort her but she clearly is like whatever whatever i don't i just don't know why i'm even here right and we comfort her and she says you know you're a sweet boy like Mm -hmm. she but she that we get the sense that this relationship she had with this other doctor was probably meaningful to her. Yeah. Like, it's not like she was just messing around in the way that she teases us, like, yeah. oh, let's mess around, or, oh, never mind. But that she probably had some kind of genuine connection, maybe. Or at least... Or... Yeah, or at least she did. You know, like... That's what I'm saying. Where, she, yeah. yeah, that it may have been... I think it was important to her. That's my inference in this scene. Because there's... So, a, because she gets so kind of like, this thing happened, and... Then it, I, I got in trouble, and so I changed my whole life, mm-hmm. and then I'm still having to deal with the fallout from this. There's got to be a lot of tension here, realizing, even if you did believe at first, like, okay, he's just having an affair with me because he loves me so much. Yeah. Like, this guy just likes me so much, and so he is doing this thing, this one thing, because I'm just that special. Right. And then when that blows up, she, fi- she finds out now, mm. not only was she not like special in the same way mm. but because we have as a, like culturally across the whole world uh, in most of the places yeah we have a habit of blaming situations like this always on the women yeah that it's his wife coming to her and saying he had an affair with you first 
which obviously created this thing in him. Yeah, now like, he just loves affairs. Yeah, and it's you your did fault. this. Yeah, which oh, is God. instead of the obvious thing here, which is that this is a guy who is a crummy husband. Yeah, like who is like going behind his wife's back mm. in these in several different ways, mm-hmm. and the like. It sucks that Sayoko is having to still have conflict with his wife. Yeah. But it's one of those things where uh, I don't even know. This is a situation that I don't even know what I would do to fix. And I don't know how I would get through this either. We're out of our depth here. Yeah. Like now we are really feeling the difference between Avery and Sayoko. Like this age and experience difference of like, oh God, you're really dealing with some stuff that we don't know. Avery has no, like I don't. Mm. And especially Avery doesn't. Yeah. Like, this is not a situation that a high schooler is equipped to deal with, even a demigod high schooler. Yeah. So the best we can do is be like, I'm sorry. Like, this sucks. Yeah. And we'll see how it goes. And this is only halfway through. Well, We we both went, whoa, level five? Yeah, this This is is rank five. five. I feel like we've been dealing with Sayoko for, like, most of our infinite life. Yeah. And, like... I am fascinated to see how much further this story can go. Yeah. And how much these social link relationships really can move very quickly. These yeah. little vignettes cover a lot of narrative ground. Yeah. In a way that I find it, that is like impressive to me Where, from a storytelling perspective. And it's already complicating what at first looks like is going to be about her hitting on you. Like yeah. It seems like that's going to be the story. Yeah. Like, okay, she's hitting on you. And so you're going to navigate the fact that this adult is like flirting with you and that this adult has some issues around how she flirts and who she flirts with and why. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that's just you're in to a relationship with this person. Right. Her flirting with you is just her mode of communication. And then the important thing is what she's telling you. Sure. And we can wonder whether she was also flirtatious with this doctor Mm -hmm. that opened sort of opened the door for that. Or if she is now sort of enacting that power differential yeah. in a different way which is like push like moving like paying that character forward right almost i mean i don't know that's that's too deep based on the information we have but to really for her know, to yeah. kind of be like she's in the position of sort of more power mm-hmm. in this job thing which is rough to deal with um i don't know and it's also like it's worth noting this is a very inappropriate set of conversations to be having with your high school employee yeah like not just the flirting but then also even talking about this stuff is like this is not this is still not an appropriate situation even this yeah the like trying to get closer or share more authentic communication yeah still isn't right like in the normal social sense of yeah of how these this relationship should go Mm -hmm. because he's this is just so much like we have to be there like technically we don't have to be there because we just work part-time and we choose when we want to work yeah but like we are at work and she's coming into the room where we're cleaning to talk to us about this stuff and where you literally you can't leave and that's the tough thing about you know work workplace relationships or whatever is Mm -hmm. that people can get trapped like they don't have a choice they can't leave you Mm -hmm. they can't get away from what you're trying to do yeah and this that's that's bad news (laughs) yeah it's definitely bad news yeah June 25th, this day, we do go hunting for info on Risei. So we have to walk around the town, talk to a couple different people, talk to her super fan, talk to a paparazzi, yeah. talk to her grandma, and find information about her until we get what must be just the most not useful piece of information ever, which is that she left her job because she was trying to find her true self. Yeah, that was the clue that Teddy needed 
to track her down. Yeah. Like, uh, we pretty much knew that already. He goes, oh, looking for her true self? Yep, smells very strong. I can so, totally oh, do I that. Can, I smell that a mile away. There we go. <laughs> like, they, it could have been as simple as having, like, uh, just having to go find, like, an article of her clothing. Hound dog style. You know? Yeah, like, anything. Like, but it, but no, but it has to be psychological. It has to be about their, their conflict. Right, but an article, an, like, an item of theirs that relates to that sure, conflict would make thing. sense. Like a this, mirror. This particular, like... I sort of liked the when we had to find information about Kanji. He was the first one we had to do this like big search yeah. about, right? Mm-hmm. And that seemed okay. This one seems like more of a stretch. Because the Kanji one, we actually did learn stuff we didn't know. We didn't know him at all. We didn't we'd only heard rumors. We it. found out he's like he likes cute stuff. Yeah. Was part of that process. Right, 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 right. I so it, it, yeah, this one not so good. <laughs> That's all right. But we get to her dungeon. Yes. And it is a strip club. Yep. Teddy over and over repeats strip like the thing zebras have and nobody says anything. And so he tells that joke three whole times. Yeah. And this is the. So, okay, this is a good example. The game itself is shaping our perception of him to be like, Teddy, stop. Like, yeah, please stop doing this. I don't care about like whatever you're saying doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And they various of them have been dismissive of him along the way. Yeah. They have this kind of like. Teddy get out of the way and the the game makes a point of going he's repeating the same bad joke three times like what is he doing and so you're like pressing the button like please just go go I don't want to hear this Uh which is great because it sets up his conflict yes that we're about to encounter uh, where we have ignored him we have literally been frustrated with him beyond his purpose like once he pinpointed her position we don't need him anymore. And I also think this level of anxiety and this kind of thing, even down to like repeating jokes until you know the people around you have heard them, yeah. is a thing that often comes when you're trying to find your place in a social group. Totally. Like you are trying to assert your position and Teddy obviously thinks of his position as being kind of the funny guy. Like who knows what part of his psyche created that, uh-huh. but even down to the fact that he says bear puns all the time, yeah. the fact that he's trying to make jokes, he's trying to be the cute one. He's the clown. He's the toy. Like he is play, like he is playful. All of these other people have become tied together by the necessity of their, like the fact that they're persona users. Yeah. And Teddy is there because he is like, he's the map, right? He's the one that leads us around this place he has the map in his brain so he's trying to figure out a way to earn a place socially among us which he's doing by like overcompensating and talking all the time and making jokes all the time in a way that uh i think maps pretty well to some of my personal experiences with social groups i was less confident in lord i've been there (laughs) yep you and i can both tend that direction yeah especially when like if i'm uncomfortable i've clam up and i just try to come up with jokes yeah so if i'm in an unfamiliar group I sit back and I wait for opportunities and then I just chime in with what I hope will be, you know, whenever I hear something funny, Mm -hmm. I'll chime in and that's how I make my way into the group. Yeah. But in the past, I've been a lot worse and a lot more like, okay, I need to be the center of attention now. Yes. Immediately. (laughs) Uh Welcome, strangers. I will tell you the joke. (laughs) I will tell you the joke. And I will only tell the joke. And this is my joke still. (laughs) And especially, like, in middle and, and high school, that was... Uh, oh, yeah. I've absolutely had people do the, the what do what they do to Teddy, mm-hmm. to me, which was like, okay, guy, we've got it. Yeah, we get like, you. That's enough. Mm-hmm. 
And that's not a good feeling. Yep, but I understand. Luckily, I mostly just don't talk to people anymore. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a song that they play when you're doing cutscenes in this dungeon, but not actually in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I just wanted to point that out. Okay. It's like a it's like a dancey piano song that sounds almost like a Carmen sort of. Okay. But it's like uh, very exciting, and I really really liked it. But then, point it out to me next time we hear it. Okay. But then the dungeon song itself. Is kind of like the kanji dungeon song. Right. Where the kanji song was like, and this one is like, in the way that it's like, why would you design the dungeons that we are potentially spending hours in? Why would you design them such that we had to listen to one, like, eight bar droning loop yep. of music over and over forever, especially when there's so much good music in this game? I don't know. It seems like. A strange choice and there might be some people think of that kind of music as being like trance like or concentration and so some people like to work to music like that yeah. because you kind of get in the zone mm-hmm. i find that that level of repetition and consistency like maddening yeah like i can't concentrate if that kind of music like like a one hour long remix of of around the world yes. or whatever <laughs> like no thank you my brain starts to revolt against <laughs> like I can have a good time, but I can only have a good time if I'm engaging with that music. Like I will just start like adding stuff around the loop. And that's yeah. what I do when we're playing the game and when yep. we're in the dungeons, I'm always like, okay, what songs can I put on top of these beats? Right. And maybe that's part of it is they want you to f- have it be like a flexible. Yeah. And it kind of, and it, it gets interrupted regularly enough mm-hmm. that it can't be too long of a loop, I guess, because yeah. you're going to go into a battle. It's the opposite of the like Mario Brothers video game music philosophy, mm-hmm. which is that even though the basic structure repeats... Koji Kondo. Yeah, the Koji Kondo approach to, to composition, mm-hmm. something I, I've been thinking a lot about lately, is that you have similar repetitions but minor variations and rhythmic inconsistencies that keeps your brain going huh, huh ooh ooh uh, ooh it's not quite exactly right yeah like all the kirby music all like nintendo's music at its best in the, the classic nintendo platformer style because they it is a song that is literally going to repeat for however many minutes it takes you to get through a certain level uh-huh. they build in this level of rhythmic irregularity that keeps a kind of peaks and interest and keeps this sort of minor tension and drama and things come back around again and you you feel good about it and these club music songs just don't do that club music just wants you to do the same motion freestyle whatever like it's i don't anyway it's not it's not really for me uh-huh um but at the same time maybe we can also factor in that this is a strip club yeah and that the places we've been are not hospitable places yeah where did kanji's thing take place a bathhouse a bathhouse right? that was obviously supposed to be like a cruising bathhouse right. so the energy of the music was supposed to get across what that place right. felt like more than what it literally was which is like often very quiet so this music may be more thematic than i'm giving it credit for right like because it's not just dungeon music it's like this place's music and, and i don't are... remember us even noticing the music in uh yukiko no nope, i don't remember either so mm-hmm. i don't know what that's like but there is a it's worth noting that this music is both kind of de- like maddening repetitious and a little menacing mm-hmm. like they are these are not comfortable places to be that discomfort may actually be 
narratively consistent in a way that when we first hear it, we're like, oh, God, th- what is this? But you go, oh, no, it actually works. Yeah. And it's weird to have it interrupted every once in a while with the shadow gargle. We've, yeah. I don't know if we've talked about the gargle on this podcast no, before. I don't think so. But whenever you run into shadows, they all go. <laughs> it's, real. Oh, it's really gross. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to do, though. It's good that that sound is gross because they are gross but i don't want to hear it we mess with everybody's outfits oh yeah so we put together a good team today <laughs> so we we have basically all the outfits unlocked i think actually every yes. single outfit you can get on persona 4 peter has on here so we mix up everybody's outfits we gave kanji the like gang leader outfit which is like a really nice like big purple jacket with tails it's and he's very cool his torso is just in wraps mm-hmm. kind of like Snow from Final Fantasy 15 after he gets injured, I guess. Spoiler alert. Not 15, uh, 13. Okay. And then we gave Chie the like special agent outfit. Yeah, she, she looks like a she looks like a men in black character. Yes, she's got a black suit and tie with sunglasses on. She looks she so looks cool. Great. And Yukiko. We put her in a traditional kimono, kind of like the thing that she wears when she's working at the inn. Exactly. And it looks awesome with her fan, obviously. And if we're thinking of Chie and Yukiko as partners they look incredible next to each other right this sort of like very modern agent like secret agent with a very traditional wife and we decided to commit (laughs) to avery's character of his favorite job because he loves his job so much and we've just we've determined that thematically this makes a lot of sense for avery Mm -hmm. from this point forward avery day's great is the TV World Janitor. The TV World Janitor. <laughs> We've got him with a big mop, and he's wearing the janitor outfit, and he's going to stay that way the whole time. Yeah, it's great. It is great. And so good. it helped me also identify with having taken out the trash by removing Yosuke from our group. <laughs> Goodbye, Yosuke. Yosuke. Who knows what he's wearing? Who knows what he's wearing? Who cares? He's <laughs> off the team. I'm so glad that he's off the team. I like the image of... Avery as a janitor. Yeah. Because I think that actually does make a lot of sense. He's cleaning up this town. He's yeah. cleaning up the problems. Mm-hmm. He's dusting all those shadows off the walls. It's not a glamorous position, but it's absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. And one that accomplishes an awful lot. Yeah. Sort of from the margins. And it, it's an unseen, but very important force, mm-hmm. which is what Avery is. Avery is almost a shadowy figure weaving around this town, helping people solve their problems, but Mm. not getting credit for it, Mm. except for his like individual interactions with those people. And then this whole team is solving the problem of these murders and saving people and then getting zero credit for it, which is exactly what a janitor is doing every day. Yep. It's true. So that's his, that is his role. And he, he is embracing it and he looks great with the mop. He looks very good with the mop. (laughs) Every time he, he like, like we <laughs> like wiggles it out and attacks people it's awesome <laughs> we run into Rise a couple times over the course of the dungeon and fight many bosses yes. this is the most of those we've seen the whole so far, because okay. this is the longest dungeon we've done so far, yeah. where there are two separate mini-bosses, and each time we run into Rise, she talks a little bit more about how she's gonna get naked, but you just have to prove yourself a little bit more, mm-hmm. like, show that you're real fans and get a little bit further, Yeah, and she has this one moment that's actually pretty funny, where she is in this very steamy room, where there's so much fog, and she's wearing her bikini, and she says, come a little closer, 
and then I'll turn the lights on so you can see me. And then when, as soon as the like group steps into the room, the lights snap on and there's a giant snake. Yes. <laughs> there's a giant snake and it's got a big like male symbol and female symbol linked together hanging off of its neck. And uh-huh. you have to fight this scary big snake. Yeah. The big, the, the big gender snake uh-huh. is there. The gender snake. That's another Metal Gear character. Oh yeah. Gender snake. Uh-huh. <laughs> And every, almost every level of the dungeon after about the halfway point, Risei has a new line at the beginning. That's true. She says stuff like, she like recites one of her commercials, or she talks about how she's all about fads. She's got a special gift for her fans. Yeah, she's really, she's kind of in super idle mode. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Yeah. Like, it seems like she's really pushing products and promoting, and this is a really, like, this is the caricature version of her TV personality. Yeah. This is the, like... If she was ultimately consumed by public perception Mm -hmm. and of advancing her career, and maybe even this is why she felt like she needed to leave, right? Because she felt pressure to maybe get even more risque or do more things to tantalize her fans. This, like, working the crowd in this way is something that she's not comfortable with, as we've come to understand. So this is that worst part of her where she's like, God, I could become just totally devoted to this yes like lost in my career and that would look more like this and you can tell the game is trying to draw a parallel uh with strip clubs yeah. as like a place where you are presenting an absolutely like inauthentic version of yourself in exchange for direct money yeah which is not necessarily how i feel about strip clubs and no. it's not necessarily true but there's that's kind of the way that her brain is making this connection and yeah. i think the reason this dungeon is a strip club is because it's a direct okay i'm going to give everything of mine away Mm -hmm. just for money in exchange exactly teddy asks us if he's about to climb the stairway to adulthood which is a rough sentence oh and that reminds me that before one of the first things happens when we went into this when we went back to the tv world teddy searching for meaning or something asks uh yukiko and chie if he can score with them sometime soon. Yeah, because he's so sad. And like, will it be okay if I score with you guys? And it's in quotes. I don't think he knows what it means. It's something that was brought up in an earlier dungeon. Mm-hmm. But he's getting a little like, he's being a little like pervy creepy it's, in relation to the women in this dungeon. There's uh, definitely yeah. a a weird, Teddy is sort of filling gaps where sometimes he's like the worst one. Yeah. And then... Also, he's usually the first member of the party to directly identify with the people that are trapped in their dungeons. Yes. Like with when Kanji was trapped, Teddy was the one to say, oh, I know exactly how you feel because I connect in this way. And he did the same thing with Risei. Right. Where as soon as we find out more of Risei's struggle, Teddy goes, oh, I 100% get that. I feel that too. And he keeps doing that in a way that makes him seem very empathetic and genuine. I think it has more to do with him seeking an identity. Yeah. And and repeating things he's heard, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and he's wondering, am I about to climb the stairway to adulthood? Because if so, that would give me some purpose or clarity in where I am in my life. Yeah, well, I understand understand what that is whatever it means because i think he's going like i don't even know what this would mean but this is something i've picked up Mm -hmm. as a possible anchor point or a turning point in someone's life yeah and i I wrote down that it was weird that he's the voice for being obsessed with risei because we even already know that yosuke is really in to risei is this because we didn't bring yosuke into the dungeon i don't think those limits are there on people talking i think the game kind of assumes that everybody is walking with you all the time okay even though they're not the ones that you're fighting with okay because when we get to the last room everybody's everybody's okay Mm -hmm. sure in the final room we see risei still wearing her mariku tofu tofu outfit 
kneeling at the feet of Rise in the bikini, the yeah. shadow Rise who's got the scary yellow eyes, holding onto a pole, like a pole dancer's pole. Yeah. And telling her, like, here we go. Like, I'm so ready to show everything off. I'm going to dance. And she does some, like, awkward animations oh, on the pole. one of the worst. It's like a Grand Theft Auto 3 level stripper animation. Like, mm-hmm. very bad. Like, please do not animate the bodies. And the, don't, and- make the, don't make the rectangles move that way. <laughs> please. They're just polygons. They don't want to hurt anybody. And most of Shadow Rize's pole dancing is just, like, reaching her arm out. Like, stretching her arm out and pulling uh, it back. I love it. I didn't... We, we were really trying to move. I didn't, like... F- I've tried to film some of these repetitive animations, but the f- version of her, like, leaning back and, like, basically plucking grapes from the air. And it, <laughs> when she turns around, you can see that she's blowing kisses and then it like hyper extending her arm all the way out uh-huh. but if you re- look at it from the other direction she's reaching as far away from her body as she can and then bringing it back to her mouth like she's <laughs> eating and she just does that she'll do that forever if you don't advance the text it's so good so good um and it's worth noting i think that the maruku tofu costume is very uh it's like completely covered like it covers her head it covers her full body it's this like food prep it even covers her neck it's mod. it's completely modest yeah this and so to put the two versions of her i mean i guess kanji's spirit shadow was also like naked in a towel or whatever and Mm -hmm. he was just so there so there's this a lot of their things have had to do with sexuality or, you know, presentation of their full bodies to other people. And so, this kind of thing. Yukiko's was about having more ornamentation. But, right. It but, was still sensual, mm-hmm. but it was more, right. It was about being a princess. Mm-hmm. And theirs is about being vulnerable, like ultimately the most vulnerable that they can physically be. Yes. Which is naked and available. Mm-hmm. Kanji and Rise have it in common that both of theirs are about this kind of like presentation of themselves as sexual objects. Right. And that's what Kanji's nervous about because typically the sexual object thing is reserved for women. Got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the nakedness on his part is about femininity in actually a, the same way that Rise's is. Interesting. Rise's final line, Shadow Rise's final line is let my naked truth be burned into your brains. Yes. And she transforms into this psychedelic naked antenna creature which has a big antenna face it has Rise's pigtail hair but or actually maybe it's all yeah it's two pigtails but they're way longer than Rise's and her whole body is this moving morphing psychedelic color mesh that's a little bit gross yeah and every time she moves it makes like a squelchy wet noise it's very gross and it's so she's almost like made of paint yeah or of it almost sort of looks like when you when um when you hold up a magnet to a like a cathode ray TV, mm-hmm. it distorts the colors and waves, and it almost looks like that a little bit. Like I think a, paint is a good way to put it, probably because that lines up with the the squelchy yeah feel, she's like liquid and and just pure pure spectacle mm-hmm. in a certain way. And the fa- her face itself is just a broadcasting device. It's a broadcasting device. When I saw it at first, it's like these honeycomb shapes mm-hmm. with an antenna coming out. So it sort of looks like a flower also. Yeah. Which has a like sexual pollination kind of. And lines up with the psychedelic deal, like the color yeah. scheme. Mm-hmm. And so there's, right, of being colorful and attractive and yeah. like colorful beyond human, the human spectrum of light. Like mm-hmm. this, uh, it, it, it's a... Um, a weirdly simple design mm-hmm. compared to most of the other shadow bosses. Yeah, the, the highest level of detail is in the hair. Yeah, but 
at the same time, there's it's interesting that because she is a it's a big nude female human form, mm-hmm. but all the skin details are instead this wavy, uh, co- you know, paint color that it's almost a form of camouflage. Like the eye slides away from it. You cannot really perceive it as a sexual human form. Right. All the stuff about it that would be attractive is ruined. Yeah. Like her face, face is just is, obscured. The face is not just obscured. It's turned into a completely non-sexual yeah. like, metal object. Uh-huh. Her body, all of the pieces of it that you would like, quote unquote, want to see are just as if she was wearing a full spandex suit. Yeah. And anytime she moves, it makes a noise. That's just gross. It's so gross. Like it's, it's intended to be, unappealing yeah the, the whole figure is about the performance of being attractive yes without any of the actual substance of it yep because she is like whipping around the pole and like posing with her leg spread and like hitting herself and like it's all just making this weird like yeah gross it's creepy yeah it's and, creepy as they all are <laughs> and she very quickly in the battle scans your whole team oh yeah and like it says all of their abilities have been identified. Like, all of your abilities have been identified. And it does that one by one by everybody when you get anywhere close to killing her. Right. And then immediately, none of your attacks will hit her anymore. Yes. She has scanned you and understands you and then just dodges around you on the pole. She charges up a big attack and wipes everybody out. Yes. Which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't normally love, like, an RPG battle where you have to lose. Mm-hmm. But this one is handled well. Like, the the way it's framed is not just that you can keep pummeling her, but you can never defeat her. Mm-hmm. It's that she neutralizes you. And then you just can't, like, that. You, you understand, like, oh, God, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, there's an interesting piece of this, too. Rise, in almost every aspect, is presented as just, like, better than them. Yeah. <laughs> like, like from the moment we meet them, she's the first one mm-hmm. to immediately be like, oh, yeah, I understand. She's the first one to, like, she even starts kind of figuring out what's going on with her shadow by the time we've beat it in a way that other people didn't like Kanji definitely didn't get that he needed to just like let it go. She has this persona that her persona itself is so powerful that they can't beat it. And it kind of makes sense because her job has been about cultivating persona. Like her, the job of an idol is about building a persona and using it. So she hasn't quite, it's still her shadow because she hasn't quite totally mastered it. Right. But she has created a very powerful separate identity because that's what she's been doing for so yeah. long. Yeah. And she spent a lot of time reflecting on that. Mm-hmm. That debate about which one of these is my true self means she's done a lot of self-reflection on both of those approaches. Yeah, she's so, been building yeah. up that identity for a while. She hasn't been she hasn't been ignoring it. Mm-mm. She's been actually like addressing it directly for a while. And the conflict at this moment is no, I'm deciding that's not me. Yes. And that's when you get the like, oh, yeah, well, then I'll destroy you. But then she goes, oh, no, okay, that is still, that's still part of me. Yeah, she's been approaching the idol character as something 100% separate from herself. Right. That this whole time her job has been, sometimes I'm me and sometimes I'm this other thing that's right. not me. Sometimes I put on a diaper and I fight crime. But right. the rest of the time I work at a tofu shop. <laughs> but in this moment, we can't beat her. She's yeah. very, very strong. Her abilities have sp- are specifically about knowing exactly what you're going to do. Yeah. And we hear Teddy start mumbling in the background based on stuff she's been saying. Yeah. And Teddy says, like, see, this is exactly right. Like, she doesn't know her true self, and I don't know mine, and I'm useless, and now all my friends are in trouble, and I have no idea what to do, and I can't do anything, and I'm blah. And so we tell him, like, 
it's up to you. Like, you can do whatever you can. Yeah. And he, like, starts yelling that he's going berserk. Uh-huh. You pointed out that they, sh- <laughs> they should have called it Sue Bear Saiyan. Oh, yeah, he went Sue Bear Saiyan. <laughs> <laughs> and he Ugh. explodes in this big flash of light because he gets all riled up and he's like, fine, I'm going to just attack. And he, like, runs forward, explodes in this big flash of light and does defeat the shadow yeah in, in one big hit the shadow is like wiped out and back down to being shadow Rise. yep they have a conversation and Rise accepts okay yeah this is part of me and she does yeah. it very quickly and she yeah. does it like oh oh i get it now yeah she's sharp she's like to, uh, attuned to paying attention to these things and there's an aspect of uh, as we said working the crowd before that requires understanding other people too mm-hmm. you have to understand yourself you have to understand others and read people and see what they're going to do so that her power of like I will analyze and, and ascertain your moves so that they can't hurt me. Yeah. Is very thematically consistent. And I like that. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But then. But Teddy, as he spends this energy and he becomes this like floppy. Yeah, he gets flattened out, squished, and some of his stuffing is popping out mm-hmm. and his eyes are bugging and he's just like, ah. It wore him out and he says, like, oh my gosh, I did it, but I'm so. And then all of a sudden, a giant shadow teddy appears behind him yeah and unlike the other shadows which is that they've all had the same voice roughly but have it has been mainly the character's voice with like a shadow overlaid under it this is somebody else this is a like (sighs) this is a much deeper voice with teddy's voice in the background yeah and rise Mm. says rise who has not passed out like the others have in the past yeah rise says right away i sense something else like that is teddy but i sense something else and this shadow starts very deliberately and clearly laying out Teddy's problem yeah. in a way that the other shadows have laid out kind of by hinting at it. This shadow straight up is like, you have no purpose or soul and there's nothing more to you than that. There is no purpose for you to continue. You should give up now. Like You are empty and yeah. that you will always be empty. And Oof. some of the ways he says it, some of the words he uses, Teddy even responds by saying, I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. Teddy deliberately says, you're making fun of me by saying stuff that I don't understand, Uh which in context of shadows doesn't make sense. How can there be something that the shadow knows that he doesn't know? Right. And so the shadow said, he, he fights it and he says, no, like I need a real me. Like, oh, actually Teddy isn't even the one to incite the battle. Yeah. As they're talking, the shadow Teddy says, I wrote this down as a couplet because it actually, they rhymed and was funny. Yeah. I shall show you the truth you hold so dear, the inescapable fact of your death here. Yeah. And you as you mentioned right away, like, wow, nihilist Teddy, like weird uh-huh. existential nihilism. Yeah. And it cut it, the Teddy expands and all of a sudden we're fighting a monster that is a like crumbling giant Teddy crawling out of a hole with huge claws and terrifying neon oh eyes my God. in like a pit of darkness. So scary. It and is, he looks more like he's made out of porcelain or something. Like mm-hmm. he looks like pottery pieces breaking and cracking and this yeah. like cracked facade of and him. underneath is just a void with eyes. Yeah. It's just a complete void. And there's times where you hit him and it seems like pieces of that porcelain fly off. Ooh. And uh, because what could it possibly mean? I can't, I can't ever put it together. Persona's like patented uh, thematic element uh-huh. strategy. There, this Teddy has an attack called Nile Hand. <laughs> Yeah. Like in I H I L. Like it's just like oh, in oh, case you were curious. Yeah, he's a nihilist. It's this nihilist hand. And and Caleb goes, Why didn't they call it Nile Fist? Yeah. And exactly. I was like, Oh 
<laughs> we yep. we beat his shadow and we tell Teddy, like, you're not alone. We're here for you. And t- after the shadow is defeated and crumbles and like is yelling these yeah. like awful like noises, Teddy gets a little sh- a little persona that's like a bomb holding a bomb. <laughs> yeah. It's like a little round bomb holding like a big missile bomb. I, I didn't get a good read on what that character actually looks like, but uh, we'll we'll do a little further investigation. Its name is Kentucky Doji. Kentucky Derby. <laughs> and it's worth noting we didn't mention Risei took on Teddy's job right away. Oh yeah. So Teddy, who has been our background like announcer telling us what's happening, keeping us informed, mm-hmm. Risei takes on that job right away with her persona, which is a woman in a dress with a big antenna head like yeah. a, like a, not just the simple antenna but like a big like dramatic looking one yeah who has a uh circlet in her hands that she lowers over Risei's face Ooh, so there's like cool, she yeah. has this like metal circlet and so it's like Risei standing there with her pers- her giant woman persona standing behind her holding a circlet over her eyes like a like Cyclops from the X-Men or yeah whatever. or like a VR helmet so yeah. like showing her like here I'll show you what I can see mm-hmm. and Ooh. so Risei's able to see what's happening to the point that Risei even can predict when Teddy's about to attack so when right. Teddy starts warming up a big attack Risei's like okay, it's coming in a second, you can attack this round, and then he's about to hit, so you need to be ready for it. Yeah, it's really cool. And I was really shocked to see her persona interact with her that directly. Mm -hmm. Like, has that happened before? No. Like, this, like, acknowledgement that they exist on on the same plane in a way that they could intersect. Like, they're not touching exactly, but it is this, like, I can do something to to show you things or that uh, that's kind of cool the closest thing is that when avery got his persona they actually communicated right like we heard them talk oh that's right they had that like weird like they leaned in like they were almost gonna kiss but then they were like no we can't yeah exactly <laughs> but you are me and i'm and i'm you you know that uh, I think and i'm that, really into it i think that's what happened mm-hmm. anyway that is it's been a long time it's been a long time since many many months so Teddy says that we are special, that Avery is special and strong, and that he wants to get stronger and cooler to impress us. That's yeah. like, he's like, that's my main motivation. And then he starts doing sit-ups in his little platform. Like, I'm going to train. I'm going to get really strong so I can come with you guys. Yeah. And it's suggested that Teddy will become a part of the team. Yeah. And Rise will take over the position that Teddy has had. It's really interesting and cool. Mm-hmm. And for... Rise to be more of an adult and have more experience and all of this, that kind of makes sense. That now she's our strategist. And that, and that Teddy's been reframed as like, actually, you know, he really wasn't super good at his role. Mm-hmm. He wasn't, he was just the one who could fulfill it. Mm-hmm. But if there is someone more skilled in that way or someone who could who can operate more effectively, let her do it. Yeah. Like, that's and it, cool. And what would normally be a time for Teddy to feel insecure because now he his role is being taken by someone who's better oh, at it than right. him. It's actually a time for him to start evaluating, oh, I can find my value in another place. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. He, and he does. And it makes me excited for his character going yeah. forward. I was surprised by all of that. Like when Teddy, when Teddy's shadow popped out, I was like, what? Uh-huh. More than one shadow in the same dungeon. This is a twist. This is my favorite dungeon in the game. It's a nice way of escalating and complicating what did start to feel kind of rote. Yeah. Like, it did feel like, okay, I guess we'll go in the dungeon again. We'll have the encounter. Mm-hmm. Like, we we know what to expect at this point. Nah, you didn't. Yep. Here's something new. Yeah, which is funny to feel that way just about the third dungeon. Right? Yeah. Like, this is just the third one. Uh, but, not counting Yosuke's fight at the beginning. Right, exactly. But they are so... Really? Yeah. We got Chie, 
Yukiko. Chia and Yukiko were the same dungeon. Oh, that's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yosuke was the f- Yosuke was just right. liquor store. Chia and Yukiko were in the castle. Uh, Kanji was in the bathhouse, and then Risei yeah. was in the uh, strip, strip club. club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's so there's an there's an aspect of us being really high level and playing on very easy mode mm-hmm. where the dungeons themselves are not very compelling. Like they're not right. super yeah. interesting. We're just trying to get through them as quick as we can. I and loved I, them when I was playing, and that's cool. So I, I imagine a little bit of my like, oh, okay, another dungeon. I'm not experiencing the frisson of like, ooh, what will the enemies be? How mm-hmm. will I effectively get through it? And how will I manage my resources and all that? Like, Plus, something that we're doing because we're talking about it right now. Yeah. Something that the dungeons do in context of the game for people that are playing on their own is they give you a lot of time to think. So they give okay. you a lot of, they give you several hours where you're looking at these characters and you're in this world to reflect on what's happening. That's interesting. And it lets you build up these events a little more uh, in your head. It gives you more time to do that. Right. Where, which is what we're doing mm-hmm. by talking about them on the podcast. But yeah. in the context of the game, it just gives you a chunk of time where you can kind of check your, you can start using your story brain to sort of like piece together what could be happening and what's going on and what's going to happen at the end of this dungeon. Cool. Yeah. And it also makes them feel a lot more dramatic when you get to the end because you've been fighting for hours. Got it. Cool. I I, I, s- yeah, I don't hate it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I want to say something funny about my first experience with this game. Please. Just like with the Kanji Dungeon where this game was all about potential to me because yeah. I had no clue what was happening and it seemed like a secret game yeah. that was like rated M that nobody else knew about but me and this friend that had told me about it. Right. I honestly was like, is Rize going to get naked at the end of this? Like, <laughs> yeah. for the through the whole dungeon when I played it the first time, I was like, is that actually what's going to happen? Like, are they actually going to show her... really do it? Yeah, are they really going to show her getting naked? Like, I I genuinely thought they would Yeah. for most of the dungeon, and I was, like, nervous about it for her and in general, where I was like, I can't believe this fucking game is about to make her... (laughs) is about to have this model get naked. Yeah, and you're encountering it, like, they make such a big deal about it. Like, I was absolutely sure she wasn't, Mm -hmm. but I um, can imagine if I had been... 14 or 15 and playing this game that I might have been a lot more compelled by that notion. Yeah. Well, a that, lot more worried, like, what is going to happen? Like, mm-hmm. what are what are the boundaries here? Yeah. What will this game do? Because it, up to this point, has only been escalating. It yeah. makes you feel like, oh, maybe it will keep escalating. And this game comes from an era of video games, I think, where that was a lot more of a thing, like pushing the limits. Like I mentioned Grand yeah. Theft Auto a little while ago. Like, the the, the notion that like, from a technological perspective, like, wow, look at this huge world you can explore, to mm-hmm. the narrative things that games were doing in the mid to late 2000s. Yeah. Shadow the Hedgehog, pushing the boundaries, like, all yeah. these kinds of things where it's like... Um, making, uh, making Sonic say damn. Yeah, exactly. Like, th- things where it's like, wow, video games aren't just for kids. What will a video game do next? Uh-huh. It, will it be the marvelous technology in Grand Theft Auto Vice City where you can go inside of buildings? Wow. Whoa. Not just outside, but inside. <laughs> but also, they're going to say swears more. Whoa. And, wow. And in this game, I can imagine, was it like 2008 mm-hmm. when this game came out? I can imagine being at that point in my life and going geez what if she does get naked yeah this game's getting crazy (laughs) (laughs) video games are so crazy now (laughs) uh and we've talked about before the hot coffee thing we've joked before about that's this era that's absolutely this era contemporaneous with this moment Uh of like putting sex in video games and they are just rectangles like Mm -hmm. they're just tapered rectangles all lined up to make body shapes yep it's not arousing <laughs> but we were sitting with one of our other friends and and like go through this dungeon and all of us kind of going 
Yeah, if I was like 14, I would be like, whoa, what if she does, though? It's funny, like, yeah, <laughs> and it's funny to hear y'all talk about it. this because that's how I was with the kanji dungeon, right? Sure. Where like he starts talking about like talking to a deep, dark voice about like, oh, like, what are you going to do to me? Yeah. And me as a 15 year old was like gripping the controller, like, <laughs> what, what is going to happen? What am I going to see in this, in this uh, amazing dungeon? This yeah. is the best thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. And I, I like the idea that these dungeons do feel spooky and mysterious and like they hide secrets and that yeah. I'm for whatever combination of reasons, not fully engaging with it on that level. Yeah. Like, I'm curious to see what happens, but mm-hmm. I don't, like I was surprised when Teddy's shadow came out that was a genuine surprise for me yeah. but the feeling that like well of course she's not gonna get totally naked like that and and even if she did I don't want that well and part of that see, I don't want to see it uh-huh. and I think part of it I think part of the situation with this is if that was going to happen I feel like that extreme is something that it, by this point you would have heard about mm. right like it would have been like wow this is the game that put like a naked teenager stripping on a pole right exactly that would have been a conversation that you would have heard right and because of that because of that distance i think there's an aspect of it that's like okay it's probably not going to do this yeah plus we i now at least am a lot more like story savvy and genre savvy than i was as a kid and i understand okay what kinds of things that people are going to do and what kinds of things are teasers rather than actual yeah payoffs teddy moves to star rank two while he's doing his sit-ups, he stays flat, but we leave him there because he says he wants some time alone. Yeah. We go home, and here's a little teaser for what's going to happen uh-huh. next week. We go home, and Dojima is drunk. Dojima and Adachi are hanging at our house, and Dojima's very drunk. Yes. And he seems very upset. Mm-hmm. And he reveals, through his sort of drunken complaining, that a kid, a child, has been hired to work at the Inuba police station oh, as a detective yeah. for free. This kid is like the, his, they call him like the detective prince or something like that. Yeah. And they talk about how he's like a big name, but the main reason the police department has hired him on is because he said that he would solve the crime for free. Is this the kid from Death Note? Yeah, it's the Death Note kid. It's L. It's L <laughs> is about to be on Persona 4. Oh, no. And, uh, uh, and it's revealed that the reason they brought this person on is because Adachi embarrassed the police station by bringing this peeping Tom in and declaring for sure, this is the murderer. We got the murderer. This is right. him. And Adachi says, you know, Dojima says to Adachi, this is your fault because you made the higher ups not trust us anymore. Yeah. You made us look like idiots. And so they brought somebody else in. And he's somebody that has, is making Dojima feel very inferior uh-huh. because he's really young yeah. and he's being put kind of in charge. And Dojima, who is, a dad and yeah. whose whole life is wrapped up in this career feels very bad about his the people, his bosses believing that a kid is going to do this job better than him. Yep. Interesting. Well, I can't wait to find out what happens next. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> so, so that's persona. That is persona this week. That's Risei's dungeon. I liked it. I liked it a lot too. Like I said, favorite dungeon of the, of the game i think Ah. not that the rest of them aren't good but this is my favorite storytelling moment i love the sneak the sneak attack of teddy yeah very Mm -hmm. cool uh i'm looking forward to seeing teddy in battle oh yeah i'm wondering how we're going to reconfigure our team i'm not really sure i was kind of thinking if rise was going to join the team that i might shift to chie rise uh kanji Mm -hmm. that might have been my team but if yeah but if rise is gonna if if it's teddy instead yeah all bets are off yeah like who's it gonna be oh gosh 
I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do we need to talk about? Who's the killer? I don't know. I have no theories. You mentioned you wanted to talk about that. Yeah. I have no freaking idea. You have no idea. I just feel like if there is someone we've met or been introduced to or whatever who is the killer and I'm supposed to be putting it together, fl- flying past my head. I have no idea. Cool. No, that's good to hear. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm interested in the way the story is developing, but I don't have... Uh, I'm not cracking the case right if now. If you had to name top three most suspicious cast members. Okay, top three most suspicious. Adachi. Okay. Nanako. Okay. JK. Um, and then... Not JK. I'm all about your Nanako theory. Um, and, uh... Not really JK. Um, and then... I don't know. Maybe the Death Lady? The Maybe death, death Grandma? <laughs> like, that would be funny if we met her as she's like, she wants, she just wants death. She's trying to kill everyone else before she goes. Uh-huh. And so she's got access to the TV world. I don't know. Uh, it could That'd be. That'd be great. It could be. The, the other thing that seems to kind of have, that all the victims have in common so mm-hmm. far, is that they are young yeah. and attractive. Well, Miss ya- well, Yamano is not young. Miss Yamano's youngish, though. She was like, I mean, she, but she's not a teenager. She's not a teen, but mm-hmm. she was a young person, comparatively young person, having an affair with a public figure. Mm-hmm. The, there's a there's a thread of. You think there might be a morality thing? Maybe so. Maybe a kind of like, hmm, I've seen someone gross on my TV. I'm going to remove them. Well, that's an that's an interesting way to look at it because we're seeing a we are seeing someone who had an affair mm-hmm. we're seeing someone who i guess yosuke wasn't thrown, so the people that thrown on the tv yeah miss yamanu had an affair yeah. saki saki i who, don't know who publicly people were talking about having betrayed her family to go oh, work right. at juness okay mm-hmm. we have yukiko which is that's the only one right now that I can't really think of a reason why she would have made anybody feel well. She's like not wanting to take up the mantle of her family. I don't. But know that's people, not public people knowledge. Don't know that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm not really sure how that would fit in. But it does line up with the other two because Kanji did. Kanji was seen as a gang member. He's a troublemaker. Yep. And Rise is a like pop star idol known for you know wearing bikinis on tv and if it's somebody who's figure, yeah. especially conservative or especially uh-huh. worried about the morals of youth or other people yeah it does make sense that they would throw those people in but yukiko yeah. doesn't quite fit with that I guess. yeah i'm not sure how that would fit in but mm-hmm. that that's the only other thing that occurred to me as like well that's a possible thread some kind of moralizing like you're i i can see you in public not doing something you're supposed to be doing yeah um there's also the, the as far as Yukiko is concerned, that reminds me of the TV producers who came to town and offered to make a TV show about them who, like, she rejected and they were really shitty to her. Oh, yeah. Um, That's true. Those people, like somebody who works in television could be a figure, but they're... And, well, that could make sense, too, because of how much TV is tied into this. Yeah, exactly. Like, how much... How could it tie into somebody who is creating the thing that is being broadcast? Was that before or after Yukiko went into the TV world? That was after. Okay. It was tied in with her social link. Got it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's probably not them, but there there are, they're kind of floundering for clues and so are we, but yeah. those are some other possible threads. I don't really know. I, I don't think we know enough to be able to figure it out. And I am glad about that. I'm glad it doesn't feel obvious or like, oh, there's definitely the bad guy right there. Mm-hmm. Like. It's good that we're, we can see the effects, but not who's pulling the strings. Yeah, it's really neat. That's pretty cool. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. I haven't asked for this in a while, but if you haven't, you should go into iTunes and leave a review. Please do. Definitely give us a little star rating and write a review if you can. It really, really helps. And it helps put our podcast a little bit more on the map, a little more accessible and findable. Yeah. 
people keep finding out about the work that we're doing here and it's because of y'all uh, yeah. telling your friends and doing the reviews and all that kind of stuff and yeah. uh, we appreciate it very much and if you don't have itunes or you don't use that sending a tweet out to your friends telling your friends who like persona about it it really really helps a lot yeah if you like what we're doing let people know and if you don't like what we're doing let us know mm-hmm. so we can make adjustments yeah you know we're here this is a this is a social link um <laughs> it is it's a social link between us and you and we want to hit rank 10 yeah absolutely Thanks to our music. Yeah, the, all the music composed by Shoji Miguro mm-hmm. and company at the Persona uh, team. I think that's it. That's all we, that's, that's that's all all we our, do. That's all our thanks. That's all our thanks. I mean, and, and you know. Thank, thanks to y'all. Hey, thank you, Caleb. Oh, thank you, Nick. Thank you. I'm Caleb Zane Hewitt. I'm Nick Splendor. And who's, who's, <laughs> who's this? Who's that? Get, Get in, in touch, touch with, with our products. products. Our shadow's scary, Nick. It's really scary. I wish that we, we should go. It's going to go now. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>